It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense, all in more or less plain English. Podcast number 865 for the 19th of January, 2024. This week, the CIS Internals suite of utilities has been around since the 1990s and has been a part of Microsoft since 2006. More than 70 utilities make CIS Internals essential for all Windows computer users, and today we'll take a look at just two of them. In short circuits, believable sound effects are essential for motion pictures and podcasts, but it's not an easy process. The first step involves identifying and obtaining the right sounds. Some Windows users like to keep all of their commonly used applications on the desktop. That has never been my preferred method, but one of the applications included in Stardock's Object Desktop Suite has convinced me to make better use of the desktop. Two applications from SysInternals sound alike, have substantially different functions, and play together very well when you're looking for the cause of a problem with a Windows computer. Process Monitor and Process Explorer were created by Mark Rusinovich, and Microsoft quickly saw the value of the SysInternal suite and acquired the company. It's been a part of Microsoft since 2006. A bit of background first, if I may. When released in 1996, the suite of tools intended to diagnose, troubleshoot, and monitor Windows systems was called NT Internals. That's how old it is. The suite is free and can be downloaded from Microsoft. The applications are not installed. Instead, the user simply runs the ones they need when they need them. And the suite contains 74 utilities used for troubleshooting and monitoring. You'll find the list of all 74 on the TechBiter Worldwide website. But thankfully, I'm not going to read them. A few other utilities from SysInternals are also available, but they are not needed for troubleshooting or monitoring, and they are not included in the suite. You'd need to download those separately if you want them. It's important to understand the differences between the two that we're going to be looking at today. They sound very similar. Process Monitor, Process Explorer. Process Monitor lets the viewer see detailed information about all of the processes running on the system. It shows details about events triggered by specific processes and displays, by default, details, operation path, process ID, process name, result, and time. 20 additional fields are available to display more information about each process. The user can set filters on any field to limit what data is displayed and log events for troubleshooting. There's also a process tree that shows how parent and child processes are related. Process Explorer helps users understand how various applications are working on the computer. Using a tree structure, it shows files, directories, and other processes each parent process controls. There's a handle mode, which shows which window handle each process has opened, and a DLL mode that shows the dynamic link libraries and memory mapped files that each process has opened. Process Monitor is a good choice when you need to track how various processes interact by monitoring and logging events that are triggered by each process. It captures an immense amount of data, so Process Monitor is most useful when the user explicitly limits what is collected by carefully starting and stopping the utility and by setting filters. 
Process Explorer aims to reveal the relationships between parent and child processes so the user can examine properties and parameters for each process. You get started with the two utilities by downloading the individual apps, or preferably by downloading and unpacking the entire SysInternals suite. It will then appear in the Start menu's All Apps section. Then scroll down to the utility you want to use and select it. For now, we'll look at Process Monitor, and you'll get better results from both of these by running them as administrator. What you'll see immediately in Process Monitor is a huge list of events. Now, by huge, I mean a list of nearly 30,000 events collected and logged in less than one second. How can anybody make sense of that much data? Clearly, Process Monitor is not a utility you want to run for a day or two to collect clues. By extrapolation, it would log more than 18 million events per minute on my computer, and any individual event would be a minuscule needle in an unimaginably gigantic haystack. Too much information is just as bad as too little information. The trick to using Process Monitor involves shutting it down and clearing the log immediately after starting it, establishing some filters, and then opening the application that has a problem you're trying to troubleshoot. Then it's time to enable Process Monitor, perform the task that generates an error, and quickly halt the Process Monitor. The filter should be set to log operations only for the troubled application. You'll find lots of videos online that cover details of how to use Process Monitor, and I'll avoid the temptation to include details here, because the techniques will vary depending on what specific kind of problem you're trying to identify. Basically, though, limiting Process Monitor's log time, carefully filtering the captured events, will return a manageable list. So then there's Process Explorer. You start it by opening the Start menu, selecting SysInternals again from All Apps, and then scrolling down to Process Explorer, and be sure to run it as administrator. Process Explorer displays all of the running processes on the top pane, and you might be astonished by how busy the computer is, even when it's just sitting there waiting for you to type something. This utility can be thought of as Task Manager's big sister. It does everything Task Manager can do, and a lot more. The bottom pane can be hidden, or it can be used to display handles, DLLs, or threads. Process Explorer's Process tab lets the user kill, suspend, or restart any process, as well as view the process's properties, investigate the process via VirusTotal.com, or perform a web search for information about the process. To get a better understanding of how these two utilities can help you identify and solve problems with your computer, I have two YouTube videos to recommend by Windows IT Pro. For Process Monitor, see a video by Sammy Laiho. The video is slightly less than 30 minutes long. And for a better understanding of Process Explorer, see the video by Pavel Yosifovich, which runs just a little more than 30 minutes. These two utility functions from SysInternals won't solve every problem a computer might have, but they will provide useful insights that reduce the time needed to identify and resolve the issues. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you.
and so does the cat. Short circuits, sounds are important. Take a look at the credits that follow a motion picture and you may see the word Foley. That's the term that describes the person who makes the action seem real with sounds. Sounds are also important for podcasts and for radio programs. Foley refers to the reproduction of everyday sound effects that are added to films, videos, and other media in post-production to enhance audio quality. Last century, when I was a student at Ohio State University, or the Ohio State University, as they prefer now. The instructor of a film course I was taking played two versions of a scene from the television program Gunsmoke. The scene involved a fight, and the first version's sound effects were horrible, laughable. The fact that I remember this more than 50 years later shows how much of an effect it had on me. Sadly, I don't remember the name of the instructor, but I do remember the point he was making, that sounds are critical to the audience's perception of the scene. Sound effects artist Jack Foley is the person the work is named after. Foley effects are subtle, the swish of clothing, footsteps, squeaky doors, things like that. Often they are so subtle that you don't even notice they're there. National Public Radio's long-form reports often make excellent use of Foley effects by laying sounds recorded on the scene behind the reporter and behind those being interviewed. When things go wrong, results are laughable. A radio blooper from the 1950s, or maybe even earlier, has one actor threatening to shoot another. The Foley effect artist either had a problem with the gunshot effect or wasn't paying attention. All right, for that I'm going to shoot you. No shot. So then he said he's going to stab him, followed by a gunshot. Oops. Well, successful Foley effects, just as successful typography, must not call attention to itself. If someone who is reading a magazine or another article thinks about how attractive the typeface is, the designer has failed. And if a listener or a viewer recognizes the sounds as a sound effect, the Foley artist has failed. So, one important thing to consider is how loud the effect is. I use the sound of the late Chloe cat in both the donation request and the program close. I think the loudness of the meow is okay because I explicitly reference it in the recording but it's louder than it should be if my intent was simply to indicate the presence of a cat. Several resources exist online to provide Foley effects and instrumental effects, such as a cinematic intro from Pixabay. Or maybe you need a kettle drum effect. You'll find one of those on Freesound. There are links on the TechBiter Worldwide websites to both of those sounds. There's no shortage of sources for free sound effects. They're not as complete or as good as sources that you'd need to pay for, but they may be adequate if you're careful about adding the sounds to your production. For example, see Free Sounds or Pixabay Sound Effects, MixKit Free Sound Effects, Zapsplat, Free Sounds Library, Orange Free Sounds, YouTube's Audio Library. There are links to all of those this week on the TechBiter Worldwide website, which is www.techbiter.com.
Some Windows users like to keep all of their commonly used applications on the desktop. That has never been my preferred method, but one of the applications included in Stardock's Object Desktop Suite has convinced me to make better use of the desktop. Icons inside Fences containers can appear and disappear. That's the primary advantage the utility brings to your computer. I have never been a fan of placing icons on the desktop because the only way to get to them and use them is by closing or minimizing applications that are running. That's an unacceptably inefficient system for me because I usually have maybe a dozen or more apps open. Offenses fixes that. You'll see an image on the TechBiter Worldwide website that shows all three screens on my system and the various states that Fences allows. When Fences is hiding, the desktop is clean. Double-clicking anywhere on the desktop reveals the icons, and double-clicking any blank area on the desktop hides them again. This functionality can be turned on or off at the user's discretion. Running applications naturally appear above the desktop icons, whether the applications are full screen or not, and this has been my long-time objection to using the desktop for icons. The peak function, which can be enabled or disabled at the user's discretion, displays the icons on top of the running applications when the user presses one of 11 specific keyboard shortcuts. The default is the Windows key and spacebar. The icons return to the background after the user has double-clicked one to launch the application or open a file, or clicks anywhere on any running application. The extensive configuration settings make Fences an uncommonly robust application. Most of the functions can be enabled or disabled, and when enabled can be activated using one of several options. The Settings panel has tabs for nine specific types of functions. Chameleon converts desktop icons to monotone and increases their transparency. They are less visible that way. That's one feature I don't use, and I've disabled it. Personalization changes the hue, brightness, saturation, and transparency of individual fence collections, or all fences. Users can also change the typeface used for the title, change the color of the title, and choose whether titles, which are also called headers, are always visible, visible only on mouse over, or never visible. The Folder Portals option creates a special type of fence, one that holds links to the contents of any folder. This is another feature I don't use right now, but I can see how useful it might be if there's a folder that contains files or other folders that you use frequently. I'm keeping my options open on that one. Peak uses the Windows key and spacebar to bring the fences to the foreground. That's the primary feature that makes fences useful for me, because otherwise it would be necessary to move, minimize, or close active windows for access to the desktop icons. Vanish is an option I have enabled but rarely use. Double-clicking a blank space on the desktop hides all of the desktop icons, whether they're in a fence or not. This is handy if you occasionally want to enjoy the magnificence of your computer's wallpaper. Roll-up causes contents of a fence to disappear by rolling up, leaving only the title on screen. Double-clicking the title or header toggles the function, alternately displaying or hiding the contents of the fence. The Pages feature reminds me of how a lot of smartphones work. When you've filled one screen on a phone with icons, you can swipe left or right for access to another screen of icons. That's exactly how it works with fences, and the switching operation can be accomplished by using the mouse to drag a screen edge, using two-finger dragging on a touch-enabled device, 
or by using the Alt key with arrow keys or with the mouse's scroll wheel. Rules can be established to control what happens to new desktop icons when they're created by applications. They can all be placed on the desktop or in a specific fence, or rules can be set up for new folders, documents, images, music or video, downloads, web links, or program shortcuts. Users can also create their own specific rules. And Snapshots shows a history of arrangements, and these can be used to revert to a previous layout or to correct a problem if the user muddles the layout. The system itself takes daily snapshots, and the user can take a new snapshot at any time and save it. Version 5 of Fences is available in the Object Desktop Subscription Package, which includes about a dozen other useful apps that modify the Windows interface, but a perpetual license for Fences is also offered for $30. Otherwise, you can license it for $10 per year on one computer, $20 per year on up to five computers, or the full Object Desktop Suite for $40 a year. There is a 30-day free trial period, so you can give any of the applications or the full suite a test drive. For more information, check out the Stardock Fences 5 website. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session.